when I want to relax, oh, there's, okay. you know, there's nowhere to go. See, that's my problem. I just work. <laughs> <laughs> you could restore it all. Hi, and welcome to the Backup Central Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Presson, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me, hailing from Santa Clara, California, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good. And guess what I just did over the weekend? What did you just do? I saw Hamilton. Oh, <laughs> we, we have to come back to that. We definitely, I've, I've now seen the, I've now seen the recorded version twice my Quite? daughter is, uh, wow. yeah. My daughter is finally watching the recorded version tonight. I will be watching it again with her, and we'll we'll come back to that uh, in just a moment. <laughs> I always say we have a special guest, and I'm super excited about the guest. But you know, this time I'm super excited about our guest. I have known our guest for a couple of years. I got to know him originally as a Druva customer. He has been in IT for over 20 years. He was at Live Nation for uh, about nine years, and just recently, about a year and a half ago, went over to AWS. He is the host of the podcast, AWS Conversations with Leaders, available everywhere you can find podcasts. He is now Enterprise Strategist at Amazon Web Services. Welcome to the podcast, Jake Burns. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming, Jake. I know I'm super excited too. I think this is the first time we've ever had someone from Amazon on our podcast. Here's a really important question, Jake. Have you seen Hamilton? I have not. <gasps> oh, <laughs> not yet. They've stated publicly that Disney Plus is hosted on AWS. You need to support your own company there and, and mm -hmm. watch, watch Hamilton on Disney Plus. Yeah, last week I was actually berated by Curtis for never having seen Hamilton. So Okay, so you just have to have me on, on again at some point and then I can say yes to that question. I could spend the rest of the podcast just talking about how much I love that show. You know, it's a combination of the of how interesting of a story Alexander Hamilton turned out to be mm -hmm. and and who knew and the fact that he is so unknown as one of the founding fathers, the only immigrant founding father turns out. Anyway, but the music is like I would not say Outside of Hamilton, I am a rap fan. Hamilton is not just hip hop and rap. It, it, it's a lot of things. The story is good. The music is good. The dancing is good. The acting is good. It's a little long. It's two hours and 40 minutes. I saw Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda, which is the, the writer and the guy who performs Hamilton. He, he gave one piece of advice. He says, whatever you do, do not play a drinking game where you have to take a shot every time someone says the word shot. You will be you will be comatose by the second act. Uh, well, that's just inviting people to do it. It is true. It is true. But like the first big song is called "My Shot," and the word "shot" is in there. I don't know two hundred times. So yeah, it's pretty so, bad. Yeah, you're not going to want to do that. But if you get a chance, I highly recommend watching it at some point. What else are you going to do right now? <laughs> you know, it's funny. People say that a lot, but I haven't had that problem. I'm I'm busier than I've ever been. Well, you know, I know like work-wise I'm busy, but when I want to relax, oh, there's, okay. you know, there's nowhere to go. See, that's my problem. I just work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I live in San Diego where as of midnight last night, we decided to shut down the bars again because we couldn't do that apparently. Mm -hmm. And we're shutting down inside dining. We've covered actually COVID and its and its impact on society quite a bit here on the podcast. 
uh, we actually did what, like a whole month? Was it? It was, was at least a month, right? Yeah, I think March and part of April. Yeah, where we we literally just covered uh, COVID nineteen and its various. Uh, we actually had a uh, an MD and a uh, master's in public health on, um, and her conversation was so interesting and went so long. We turned it into three episodes, and so we've covered it quite a bit. And why now we're back to technology? And when I talk to you, I know that when I initially talked to you about you know coming on the podcast, I was curious to know now that you see things on the other side. I- I'm assuming that things have been rather busy at AWS because I've been hearing on from a number of sources that people who had, if they had a cloud initiative that had been somewhat sidelined, a lot of companies are now saying, okay, we clearly need to move whatever we can to the cloud. I would just think that you would therefore be an incredibly busy person. It's certainly true that, you know, leadership at enterprises are, you know, when, when there's volatility and any kind of large-scale change, there's kind of a newfound realization um, that agility is important mm-hmm. uh, in their business overall. So, And I think at this point, most people have a somewhat good understanding of how you can increase your agility to reduce risk by, by using cloud. Uh, but cloud adoption has been going up over the last, I don't know how many years. I mean, as back, far back as I can remember in recent history, you know. Um, so certainly since I started with it, um, you know, back in 0809. There's a friend of mine, Stephen Foskett, uh, at S. Foskett. Uh, he is uh, head of Gestalt IT and they do Tech Field Day. I-, I still remember sitting in the middle of Times Square having lunch with Stephen. And I remember asking him what in the world this cloud thing was. <laughs> that, I remember that <laughs> initial conversation. And that was an awfully long time ago. You're right. You know, since then, it's it's you know done nothing but grow. I know that a number of our customers have. And by the way, let me throw out our usual disclaimer that Prasanna and I do both work for Druva, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are ours. You know, we've talked to a lot of our customers who are talking to us now. They've moved to you know Office 365. They've moved to AWS. They've uh, and now they're looking and saying, I need to back up these resources. Mm-hmm. At what point do you enter the conversation? Typically, beginning of a company's cloud journey, which seems to be um, that that's a large group of, of companies at this point. Mm-hmm. The reason is my team we kind of operate at the strategic level and the, the senior leadership level, and so you know while we can uh, help customers kind of later in their journey, we find that most of the big decisions have been made at that point. And so since there's really um, so few of us and, and so many customers that you know can benefit from an engagement, we select we tend to select for um, customers who are earlier in their journey so that we can have the most impact and, and help them mm-hmm. the most. Do you still find that those customers who are in that early part of their journey, like is it that they're not aware of the cloud or they're just like, okay, we know we have to go to the cloud now. Mm-hmm. We have no idea how to even get there. Yeah, it's it's that's a good question. It's 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 evolving. So when I first started a little over a year and a half ago, uh, I was having a lot of conversations with uh, CIOs and CTOs primarily um, about you know kind of convince me that cloud is a good idea because I'm hearing a lot about it. My people are telling me we should do it, but I'm still not quite decided uh, that we're going to do it or not. Um, and then there was you know, it might have been like fifty fifty that and. Between that and, you know, we've already decided to do this, but we, we need to help getting started. We don't know where to begin. 
Um, and, and since then, I would say we're at a point where uh, it's very infrequent that I'll talk to somebody who is undecided about whether they should go to cloud. Um, I mean, if I had to put a percentage, it's probably less than 5%. Um, Interesting. So it's, it's majority of them are, you know, we've made this decision and we're <laughs> surprisingly enough, still kind of stu- stuck on step one or, um, you know, they're kind of still in the early stages and uh, they need assistance. That's a really interesting thing that, that, that that's where you get into the conversation. So if a customer is, you know, is coming to you and saying, we know we, we need to start looking at using the cloud in some way, do you have a sort of recommended path that they should or typically follow? Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's something that's evolved also because, you know, when I was starting, so at Live Nation, you know, we made the decision end of 2015 and we, we, the, you know, basically did the migration during 2016, you know, we completed it, you know, early, uh, the following year, uh, with a couple of applications that were just, uh, took a little longer, but, um, you know, back then there wasn't, there, there were some companies, you know, there's Capital One and Netflix, but there wasn't a lot of examples to draw from as to kind of what's the right way to do this. Um, it felt very early days. Uh, but nowadays, you know, what I tell customers is there's never been a better time to be starting a cloud migration. And, you know, there's, there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is that there's so many examples of success stories that no matter how specific you want to be, uh, you can find a company that's your size, your industry, um, your situation, who's done it and been successful. And more than likely, you're going to find quite a few examples of that. And uh, many of those people who implemented it and the, the senior leaders are will be happy to talk to you and share their experiences. So I'd say that there's some very strong patterns of success at this point. I don't know how unique you are in that you were in IT at a company that made that journey successfully. I, I don't know how unique you are within AWS, um, but that but that has to give you... Credibility? <laughs> yeah, credibility <laughs> I, would be a, a good one. Yeah, like a um, big picture view, I would, I would say. Um, right. You know, because there are a lot of customers and there are a lot of uh, people on the vendor side as well, but there's fewer people that have had, you know, deep, meaningful experience on both sides. And uh, so, so, yeah, it's somewhat unique but it's getting less unique over time. I, re- I remember watching your presentation, I guess a couple of years ago now, where you you described your journey. Mm-hmm. You had some specific goals that I think you pretty much accomplished when you went there. I, I don't know how much you want to talk about that, mm-hmm. but um, what was that like? Yeah, so we said we had some very ambitious goals. So this uh, at Live Nation, our you know our move to the cloud was really kind of kicked off by a mandate from our CEO, um, late in 2015. And so I had the kind of the Christmas break, uh, to kind of plan it. And we got started immediately, uh, upon coming back after, after new year's. And our goal was, and this was the challenge, uh, from, from our CEO was, uh, get it done in 12 months, uh, which was very aggressive and, and all in, in 12 months. And this is like everything in your environment had to be moved in 12 months. Yeah, and uh, corporate or almost IT. everything. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, and, there was the Ticketmaster li- organization, which is right. uh, considered a se- somewhat separate entity um, that was out of scope, but all of the corporate IT. I hear you say he we wanted to go to the cloud and we wanted to be done within a year. Was there a primary 
problem he was trying to solve or a goal he was trying to get to outside of that? And this was a means to that end? Yeah, one of it was this understanding that um, we shouldn't try to be in the data center business because it wasn't our core competency. It wasn't helping our customers, our fans. So, you know, this belief that we should be focusing on what's important to our customers, which is another, you know, very strong cultural component at, at Amazon as well, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why I like it you know, if, if, if there's a way to do it better. So kind of like the classic example is, you know, how many, how many companies have their own power plant? I mean, right. I don't, I can't think of any, right. You yeah. plug into the electric grid because there's people who can do it better. You get the economies of scale and you right. can focus on running your business rather than generating electricity. So cloud computing is very similar to that. But, uh, you know, the one year deadline, I think that was a, um, that was a, a result of kind of a frustration with how slow IT was moving, um, operating on premises. Um, and by adopting cloud and going all in with AWS, we were able to achieve that goal. Now, I'm sure that from this was like 2016, you had said. Yeah, we finished up uh, Q1 2017. We yeah, started so, uh, like basically January 2nd on uh, 2016. Gotcha. And now uh, I'm sure if you look at what was available from AWS back then versus now, it was probably very different. You probably had the basics still there, but I'm sure there were a lot of services that were very different. And I'm sure you were probably also hand building a lot of things yourself, even running in AWS, because you're probably like, that's the early stages of public cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Versus what's available today, which is probably making that transition from on-premises to cloud much easier. Yep, absolutely. That's one of the other reasons why it's one of the best times. I mean, it's the best time to be starting a migration project. Uh, I sound like an old person, you know, maybe I am an old person, Get off my lawn. <laughs> you know, no, not like that, but more like, you know, kids today, they have it so yeah. easy, right? I mean, people today who are migrating to cloud have it so easy. The services that are available to you to, to migrate your business, uh, to AWS, uh, are just light years ahead of what I had available to me just four years ago. Yeah. We didn't have snowball. <laughs> um, I mean, nowadays there's so many migration tools and, management tools once you're in the cloud. You know, one of the things that we kind of struggled with uh, once we we migrated was block storage, managing our block storage, because the way that uh, storage works in the cloud um, can be very different than the way it works on-prem. Now you can make the argument it's better, but when you have legacy applications that expect it to work the old way, it's not really better, you know, for your specific use case. So there were a lot of like complexities with that, that have since been completely resolved and uh, customers no longer have to deal with those kinds of things. When you're looking at this migration, and I know that you had a deadline that you had to hit, but I'm sure it wasn't like, oh, let's just take everything over and then we'll work through the bugs. I'm sure you had some sort of plan in terms of which applications you would move over, what the criticality was, and you kind of were learning along the way. Absolutely. You know, it's like like any big uh, endeavor, you kind of learn how to do it after you're done. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> you become the experts once you're done, <laughs> especially then, because like I said, there weren't many examples of how to do it, um, in a good way. Um, today it's much better because we have those examples and you follow, you follow people, um, who've done it, um, and their, their plans and you'll be successful. It's kind of proven at this point. Interesting. Back then though, you know, I, th- there was some planning. I had some rough ideas of how we would do it. Um, but we did have to course correct along the way many, many times. Um, so it was very much an iterative approach. Mm. I'm gonna assume I'm I'm, I'm gonna make I'm making an assumption, but I need you to you know uh, either confirm or deny <laughs> to do things that fast. I would assume that you're doing predominantly what I would call a lift and shift approach. 
Like you're not you're not reprogramming your primary applications to be cloud friendly. Would that be fair? Yeah, I don't think it's black and white though. Um, I have some pretty strong opinions on this subject. Actually, um, you know the traditional six R seven R model from from Gartner and and, and others um, is kind of the traditional way to look at this. But um, I actually think it's simpler than that because I don't think there is. I think the a pure lift and shift is a myth. It just doesn't exist. You're always going to make some changes when you're moving to cloud. It's just it's just necessary. Um, now the question becomes how many, how much do you want to do? And, and more specifically, how much do you want to do in your first pass and your, while you're migrating? And, uh, the approach that we took, um, and the one primarily that I'll recommend to customers for legacy applications is now called a minimal viable refactoring. And essentially what that means is you're going to make, uh, as few changes as you can in order to migrate as quickly as possible while keeping your costs, um, like you, you know, it's like first do no harm of IT. Uh, your costs don't go up. Your resiliency doesn't get worse, and security and compliance doesn't get worse. So, those four dimensions need to um, stay the same or get better. But the goal is to move as quickly as possible. And the reason why this works is uh, a couple of reasons. One is migration projects have momentum, and so the goal of a migration project should be to get that momentum going in your favor. Um, especially, you know, back then there was a lot of doubt as to whether this was a good idea or we could achieve it. So, you know, you don't want to give the naysayers kind of any ammunition. So you want to keep going and you want to get that momentum on your side. So the confidence of the people who are doing it and the people who are stakeholders and the people who are watching kind of grows over time as well. And it kind of, you build on that. Um, the other reason is the refactoring process is, um, much harder to do on prem than it is in the cloud. And the reason for that is in the cloud, you have just so many more tools available to you. And you also have pay for consumption model, which means you can try things. And then if it doesn't work, you can undo it. You know, Whereas if you're buying hardware, that's not something you can easily undo. Um, so you want to push as much of that refactoring as possible uh, to post-cloud, post-migration, uh, where it's going to be easier and less expensive and more likely to be successful. So you do, you do an initial somewhat full lift and shift and then an immediate attempt at trying to refactor as much as possible. Right. And then what you quickly discover when you're doing that kind of going back and refactoring or optimizing, as I call it, is that it's not a one-time thing. In fact, it's going to be uh, an ongoing thing. Uh, it's good. It needs to be part of your operations moving forward. It never ends. But, you know, yep. it sounds like a lot of work, but actually um, it's a lot less work because you're not constrained by data centers and hardware. Um, so you have kind of the freedom to do things very easily and quickly. Um, and it's it's also not a bad thing because as you optimize, your costs go down, your performance goes up, and it, everything else just gets better. Speaking as a, an employee of a company with a giant AWS bill, um, I think we have we have a uh, an entire department, I think, dedicated to constant refactoring, right? You know, making sure that we are doing the most efficient thing possible while maintaining the you know, the, 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 the quality and the performance and, and the security that our customers expect, but doing as much as we can to save every, because, you know, you shave it, every place you can shave a penny when you're paying by the, you know, by the, uh, most services are by the hour. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, every, everywhere you can shave off, it counts. And then suddenly you just saved $10 million. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's huge. Do you see 
are there a lot of those applications and workloads though that you move to the cloud? Do they get kind of stuck in that min- the first stage before ever moving to the second? And do you know kind of what percentages? I'm sure it's going to vary from customer to customer and what the business deems as critical. But do you see that? Like, what sort of numbers do you see or or have you heard about? Like, do people spend a lot of time focused on getting to that second phase? Yeah, this is the the, the major kind of resistance to this approach is that the engineering folks and um, you know middle management t- typically are skeptical that they're going to be able to get to that optimization phase because in their minds it's like oh once we get this uh this achieve this goal of moving to cloud the business is going to give us all this other work and they won't let us prioritize the optimization but in reality um it's it's pretty easy to make a case for it because the the results are immediate so you can put in you know one day's worth of effort optimizing and demonstrate uh to others in the business the return on investment and the return on investment is especially initially very very good um and then the alternative is you know if you don't watch those things then you know consumption can go up and consequently yeah. costs can go up right so it's it's a it's a fear of a lot of people going into this so oh, we're not going to be able to get to that optimization but in reality in my experience uh just about everyone gets to it and like you said especially with the ability to quickly spin up services try something out see if it works toss it if it doesn't without really incurring a huge cost, I think, also helps with that as well. The agility, yeah. That that that's an interesting case that you make there because since you're in the cloud, this idea that immediate, you know, changes of any kind can have an immediate effect on essentially your bill or your performance or whatever it is you're trying to affect because of the power of the cloud. It's like, we think that if we add a thousand more, if we spin off a thousand more VMs, our, our, our service might, uh, you know, get faster, push a button. There's a thousand more VMs. Exactly. <laughs> hey, look, our service got faster. <laughs> so whatever it is you're trying to, and you can do that. And then like, like Prasanna said, if it doesn't accomplish the desired goal, you turn it off and you just spent $35. Right. Um, yep, it's a reversible decision. Right, which yeah. makes it really easy, and also it's very easy to do because there's there's uh, far fewer barriers to to doing that. So in the old days, you know, you'd have finance, procurement, and all these other people. If you wanted to, you know, spend money uh, with infrastructure and IT, um, it's very difficult to to do that. But you know, you could really just kind of test out your ideas in a sandbox environment, um, or you know, a test environment or staging environment, and promote that to pr- production if it ends up being better. So you get to this point where, um, you know, these, you've, you've lowered the cost. It's, it's a huge understatement actually to say you've lowered the cost of experimenting because it becomes almost a rounding error when you're doing it right. And so you experiment far more often, um, and, and far more often than most customers expect that they will. And in reality, it should be constantly your, 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 your team should be experimenting all the time. And the thing is, like most experiments, um, it's not going to work most of the time, right? <laughs> but, but the great thing about it is uh, those experiments fail very quickly and very inexpensively, so much so that most people in your organization won't even know that you're doing it. They'll just see the the ones that are very successful, and then you'll look like a superstar. So I know in the past there was a notion of shadow IT and people spinning up things in AWS or in the public cloud and using it for whatever they want. Are you starting to see that that's 
they're no longer considered like people going rogue, where it's now become acceptable to say, hey, you should be go out and try out and start developing and seeing ways to save money, et cetera, and optimize. Uh, I would actually say that shadow IT is an even bigger concern now mm. because you just have a bigger lever, right? So, um, you know, the reason why cloud is powerful is, you know, uh, really leverage and, and you know, you, you have nearly infinite resources at your disposal and you're empowering your people to have those. But if you don't have any governance around that, that could be very dangerous. So um, governance in the cloud is, comp- is, a, is critical to your success. Um, and I actually say that you need more governance that you had than you had previously because previously you had kind of this artificial governance through through the inefficiencies of the system, right? <laughs> like if we want to talk about backups, which is I assume something you guys uh, know a lot about. Um, you know, in the old days, you, almost every company did it the same way. We'd have a robotic robotic tape library um, with you know traditional backup agents on our servers, and they would get sent to you know. Uh, a disk array that would then, you know, get sent to a tape and then the tapes would get taken off site by somebody from, it's always the same company, picks them up, puts it in a, you know, a a van, like a armored van and drives it to some facility where you don't know where it is and locks it up. And, you know, you just consider your data to be safe. Well, that whole uh, method has been disrupted uh, with cloud um, in a good way. You know, just like um, just like a lot of things in IT have been disrupted in a good way with cloud. The expectation is a lot higher now, um, but with that power comes responsibility, because you know if you have access to that data twenty four seven, you know the old way there was some protection involved in kind of that inefficiency. Like if you to corrupt your entire uh, you know um, library of backups, I mean that would take forever. You know, how many tapes you'd have to load to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's two sides to it. And I think there's a, there's a huge net positive, but, you know, you have this much more power than what you had before and you've got to really know how to use it. And governance is, is key to that. One of the things that we occasionally have to argue is, hey, you know, the cloud isn't magic. You need to back up your resources I will say this. I think that with Amazon specifically, the fact that you need to back up, let's say EC2, it's right in the product description. They're very open about the fact that backup is your responsibility. And and I would applaud them for that versus some other services that we work with where they they really do a lot of hand-waving. Do you get customers that seem surprised that they need to back up their cloud resources? I think the ones that have very little experience with cloud are more likely to believe that. It's it's fortunate that as time goes on, kind of the average minimum like level of uh, understanding of cloud is is rising, you know, quite rapidly. Um, I think you know with those um, SaaS email solutions, I think that's it's it's definitely um, a common belief there. I know it's an yes. area where where Druva helps a lot of customers, um, but you know, there's there's uh, at AWS we have the shared security model. And I, while, it, while it applies to kind of security, um, the security of the cloud versus security in the cloud, we're responsible for security of the cloud. The cloud that we operate is secure and um, you know we have a lot of expertise in, in, the, in that area. So you really don't have to worry about those things. But then there's security uh, in the cloud, which is how you're operating in the cloud, like your application and your data. Um, and that's a customer's responsibility. The good news is 
you know, you kind of have this, if you, if you imagine like a, uh, multiple tiers and you just cut a line through the middle and say everything below that tier, AWS is handling for us, everything above that tier, we're still responsible for. Well, we just, you know, took away a large percentage of the things that you need to worry about. And because of that, you can focus your effort on those things. And on top of that, we provide a rich set of tools that makes managing those things so much easier. And I think that shared security model applies to a lot of other things uh, besides security, including you know data protection, um, resiliency, et cetera. So you know the underlying hardware and the cloud is going to be very resilient in the way that we operate it. That doesn't mean you can't design a, a not resilient architecture on top of it. There's still best practices that you need to follow, and you know the same is true with your data. So it's it's important to kind of for the customers to be educated about this and understand uh, what things are being managed fully for you and what things still are your responsibility, and then understand the tools available to you in order to uh, be responsible for those things. So it sounds like you you don't get too much of an argument for cut from customers that are adopting the AWS model. I want to go back to your Live Nation days? So there's there's sort of two different ways that one could back up an Amazon resource, right? So you could, if you're talking uh, specifically EC2, if you're talking EC2, you could use AWS snapshots and mm-hmm. and all of the things that you can do with that. You could also use something like Druva Phoenix that runs inside the VM and does uh, deduplication and backs up that way. As I recall, you went the latter route. We chose Druva and it wasn't a random choice. You know, we, we did a lot of, uh, put a lot of thought behind it and, and really kind of like like I'm suggesting to the customers do, we got, became educated as educated as possible on what this new technology, the capabilities were, and so we could we could make an informed choice. So it it, it makes sense to kind of look at it and and see kind of what were our old capabilities, and um, and expectations and risks, and and what are the new ones, and what tools do we need to employ to, um, like I was saying before, first do no harm, hopefully make it much better than it was before. Unfortunately, you can make it much better than it was before. It's just, it's kind of up to the customer to do that. I mean, we give the customer choice in how they want to do things. If, if all they want to do is save money and they say, you know, we have, we have a zillion copies of this data, we don't care. We're not going to force them to pay for, um, you know, replication or, or redundancy that they don't want. But if you want that, you can have far more uh, replication and redundancy and uh, protection um, really as much as you want. So it's really up to the customer with these newfound capabilities uh, to kind of decide, you know, what they want, uh, what level SLAs they want, what, uh, you know, expected performance they want and all these things. And with, in a pay for consumption model, it's really, you choose how much do you want to pay for, for what you get. And that's something that we've never had before. When we're talking snapshots here, we're talking AWS snapshots, which aren't really snapshots like you and I grew up thinking about, right? They're, they're image copies, right? They're, they're not a virtual snapshot the way we think of with, let's say, NetApp, right? AWS style snapshots are a, a very common method of backup amongst uh, AWS resources. Well, they are, and, and they're effective and they, and they work very well. Um, but what, what are you trying to accomplish with them? We looked at everything. We looked at cost, we looked at SLA, we looked at uh, management. It was another thing for us as well. We, we were running very lean in IT. And we didn't want to kind of build our own solution. And uh, the 
uh, Drugo Phoenix solution was turnkey for us. I, what I do remember was that you you were spending a lot of money on snapshots. That, that's what I remember from your story was mm-hmm. you tr- you tried the snapshot route and you were spending a lot of money and that switching to doing dedupli- you know, source-side deduplication, mm-hmm. even though backing up that way does, uh, if you're backing up out of EC2 and into something else, you're going to pay some kind of egress charges. Even figuring that all in, you and you still ended up saving money backing up a different way. Yeah. And we continued to use snapshots, just not for that specific purpose. Um, you know, and, and we were using it in a weird way. We were doing snapshots and then we were transferring them between um, regions, uh, which had some kind of unexpected consequences for us. And one of the things we liked about uh, Druva Phoenix was that uh, behind Druva Phoenix is AWS. So we were already all in on AWS and we believed right. in AWS and we had a partnership with AWS and we wanted to continue that. Um, we, the, we just wanted that extra functionality on top of AWS that, that Phoenix gave, gave us. To summarize though, what Jake, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're basically saying that you have all these tools and all these capabilities. Don't just look and say, just because I'm doing things in what I was doing on-premises before, I should be doing the exact same thing today as well. I think that's a great summary. That's what we were trying to do with snapshots. We we're trying to do it exactly the same we were doing it before, as we were doing it before. But the um, the the way the technology worked was different. So we had to kind of look at what capabilities we had and try to um, you know not mimic the 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 mechanics of it, but mimic kind of the result of it. And um, I, I think it, it pays to kind of look at um, some of the. Uh, reputable AWS partners out there uh, like Druva who have really innovative solutions on top of AWS. And look, I'm not, I hardly ever publicly talk about this kind of stuff. Um, (laughs) So I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not in the habit of talking about uh, like, you know, singing praises of even a, even a, you know, great partner like Druva because I, you know, I have a reputation as well. And so um, I'm only going to recommend things that work, but when I find something that works, be honest with you, there's not, you know, if you look at all the things available out there and, um, you know, third-party solutions, very few of them are really good and adding value. I mean, if we're just being honest, there's a lot of stuff out there that people buy that really aren't help. It's not helping them. It's not helping their business. So when I find one, you know, and I have a, <laughs> as a customer, I had kind of a, uh, a reputation for being hostile towards vendors. <laughs> I don't think I was hostile towards vendors, but you know, if their solution was no good, it didn't do anything for us. I would be honest with them, and I guess that's being hostile because I thought you know, ninety plus percent were were no good, right? You were you were honest and frank. It's honest, and people people were buying it. I thought because they just didn't understand the problem, they didn't understand the solution. So when I find a a, a third party uh, product that. Um, it's actually adding value, especially something this important, data protection. Um, I tend to be enthusiastic about it. So, you know, ask me about a different product and you'll get a different, <laughs> get a different attitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, I, what I heard you say in your answer earlier was that it sounded like you, you, what you were doing before when you were in, in the data center was you were still, you had still had a tape-based architecture. We did. Yeah, which, exactly. Which, which surprises me in 2000, what were you saying? 2016? That was, that was 16. Yeah. That, that surprises me given, you know, I mean, I'm not an anti-tape person. Um, I'm probably the most pro-tape person at Druva, actually. I, it still surprises me when I find a, a, a big tape backup environment. Well, you know, we, we were, we were trying to do a lift and shift, right? So, um, 
we wanted to. Well, that that is one thing you cannot lift and shift into the cloud. It's a tape library. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So you know, when I say there's going to be some refactoring, some changes, I mean this is this is a great example of it. You can't take your robotic lo- library with you, right? And if you try to use the exact same policies and techniques to back up your data without it, then the results won't be the same. You know, so mm. you have to think differently, um, especially with this. And so, and, you know, you were kind of alluding to this earlier. I think a lot of customers are underestimating the the reality when it comes to this, um, you know, and they don't think about it until they get a little bit more mature in the cloud. But uh, my advice is to look at this early because, um, you know, data protection is one of those things where, you know, you don't need it until you do. So you kind of, it pays to be kind of ahead of, uh, ahead of the curve on this one. Yeah. I, I, I talk a lot about, so, you know, having been in the, the, the backup space for over 25 years now, I've been in a lot of meetings where I find out about an application or a new server or an entire bank of servers that have been in production for some period of time and backup is not, <laughs> it's not part of the plan. And it's, I, it just kills me that that, that that still happens. Right. Uh, yeah, it's but like yeah, standard so operating I, procedure at a lot of companies. You know, the other one yeah. is like DR, like how many mm-hmm. companies have DR and they've never tested it. Oh boy. Well, yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. What, of what use is it if you haven't tested it, you know, give you an example. The first time you test something, especially something as big as like DR for your critical systems, how often does it work the first time? Now, why would you make the first time you try it the time you need it? Curtis, a great story around that. Yeah. I, so I, I used to work at a bank and we did a DR test every six months uh, because we were required to by the government. A success was defined as the the disaster recovery worked by someone other than me following the documentation. Like I had, we had to pretend I was dead and then the other people had to follow the documentation and success was only if we got from A to B without having to talk to me. And out of the six DR tests that we did while I worked there, none of them (laughs) worked, worked by that standard. They all worked, but all of them, it, it, it involved some, level of finagling on my part, uh, something that wasn't covered in the documentation and all that. DR does need to be stupid simple, right? Mm -hmm. Just push a button and magic happens, Uh, which is why even before coming to Druva and even before this whole, the the idea of doing DR in the cloud is something I am, I have been a huge fan of for many, many years. Uh, To me, it's, it's one of the, one of the, uh, what is the killer apps that, that can go in the cloud because you can have all of this, all of these resources just sitting there waiting for your use. And you literally just have to push a button and magic happens. So do you see that in a lot of the customers looking to go to the cloud where they might take, say, instead of moving their production application, they might take DR and start looking at, okay, maybe that's my first thing that I migrate to the cloud, or maybe backup is the first thing I migrate to the cloud and some of these other use cases rather than trying their production app on day one to move that to the cloud? Yeah, it's funny. They, I think they don't, but they should, you know, it's cause it's such a good idea. It's such a good, I mean, like you said, it's the killer app. It's, it's the business case is a no brainer. Um, and, and one of the reasons for that is because cloud is pay for consumption. And if you do DR, right. Um, you're not consuming it ever, right. right? Unless you're testing it or you need it. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's certainly the most cost-effective way to do DR, and I would say from a risk perspective, it's probably has the best profile as well. 
There's just so many good reasons to do DRN backups for that matter in the cloud when you're on-prem. The other thing is it's this, it's like the first step to migrating. So if you have DR running in the cloud, or even if you have backups running in the cloud, um, if you have DR running in the cloud, you're like, you know, 80% there migrated, you know, in fact, you're right. one DR cutover <laughs> away from being in the cloud per, per, from, right, from production. Right. Uh, with backups, it's not quite as much. I mean, you're maybe, you know, depending on how much of your infrastructure is data, uh, you could be like right around 50% or, or maybe less, maybe more. But, you know, moving the data to cloud is is one of the, you know, one of the big things that you got to do uh, in order to get running. So if your data is already there, you have a huge advantage. All right. Well, Jake, well, thank you so much for uh, coming to the podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It was, a, it was great talking to you guys. Good to catch up. We're going to have to have you back after you watch Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be the requirement. I'll watch Hamilton and then I'll come back. And with that, I want to thank our listeners for listening in and make sure to tune in uh, next time and subscribe so that you can always restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Source